Amen. Well, this morning, uh, we finished up our Conversations with God series last week. And so if you missed any of that, you can obviously get that online either on our website, northgoodland.org, or on our app, North Goodland BC, in your app store. And you can catch up on that entire series. If you missed one week or maybe more, uh, we would encourage you to check those out. But last week, we finished up that series by doing some live question and answers. And so we were able to, last week, have you submit through the app um, just different questions that if you could sit down and have coffee with God... What would be a question you would ask him? What would be something you would want to speak to him about? And as we said last week, there are a lot of things that we would want to have a conversation with him about. There's a lot of coffee that would be consumed in that conversation, right? Because I feel like if, we're, if you're like me, I would ask a question, he would give me the answer, and I would lead to another question, which would lead to another answer, which would lead to another question, and I would be like, I'm not going to let you go. We're just going to sit here and get all these answers. Sometimes the answer might be, specifically scripture, uh, sometimes the answer might be, that's not really for you to worry about. And I'm so thankful there are things in God's economy that though we have questions on them, sometimes the answer is, my grace is just sufficient. You just need to trust. You just need to keep your eyes on me. So we did that last week. We took a lot of questions. Um, I think we had over 20 questions that were submitted from people here in the service or maybe somebody that wasn't with us that got the notification on the app and were able to submit a question, uh, which was really cool. We were able to have people even serving in different ministries. Um, so for example, our nursery ministry, uh, those that were serving in there last week because this is being put into the service there and so the room, uh, they were able to pull out their phone and submit a question. And I can tell you, if you were here last week, the culprit for that last question about the termites and Noah's Ark, if you weren't here last week, you just got to go back and watch it to know what I'm talking about. Uh, but if you were here last week and you remember that question, uh, I, I falsely accused Rick Hogue. I, I really did. But it seemed like a Rick kind of a question, Renee. I thought maybe that's where he was going. Uh, Wesley Proctor uh, actually was the one that did that. So when you see him next week, you know, if he's here with Emily, let him know you really appreciated uh, that question. Um, I, I have to say, I guess he didn't, he didn't really admit that he asked the question when I kind of was talking to him about it a little bit. I said, well, you were my second guest. You were my second choice. Um, he never said, okay, yeah, I did that. He actually said, that sounds like a very good question to me. That sounds like something that should be asked. So basically we know he did ask that question. But uh, because last week, and again, I so appreciate Pastor Greg uh, coming up here and, and talking with us and answering those questions. That, uh, as you can imagine, sometimes that's not a comfortable thing to do, um, to be willing to say, hey, I'll open it up. Ask me anything you would ask the Lord, and we'll get into his word and see if we can find an answer. That can be pretty intimidating. And so I so appreciate Pastor Greg coming and just doing an amazing job, just sharing God's word and just speaking answers to those questions. And so, But last week, because we had a limited amount of time, um, I don't remember how many questions we answered, maybe seven or so. Um, I actually had a conversation with somebody after service. They asked a question that I wasn't able to get to, we weren't able to get to, so was able to speak to their question a little bit after service. But uh, what I'm thinking about doing, and I'm kind of saying all this just to say stay tuned, um, looking at all the questions, there were some really good questions that we couldn't get to. So what I'd like to do is, is maybe over the next, I don't know, few weeks, maybe few months, um, take a question and kind of in a, in a 
matching up of Facebook and our app. Maybe do some of the answers on a little short video on Facebook, answering one of the questions that were submitted. Uh, maybe on the app, doing something something in print where I can actually type out or we can work out an answer and, and you can read that and have that with you. So, so a couple of different things we're going to be doing over the coming months. And so stay tuned. Be watching for notifications from the app or on Facebook um, as we really do want to tackle some of those questions that were asked because I think they were valid questions that maybe many of us would have in this Christian life. And so be watching for that. Uh, We'll do our best to be able to to answer those questions again. And so moving forward. But this morning, after wrapping up conversations with God, and we have Appreciation Sunday next Sunday. And so I was kind of praying, Lord, where would we go this morning? Where's a a passage we could go to to kind of encourage uh, the body of Christ? to encourage the body of Christ. And there was a passage that kept coming back to my mind. Um, and it's actually even referenced, I believe, in the note uh, in your bulletin this morning, in the, in the uh, note from a pastor, or from the pastor. Um, and so when we think about this idea of running the race that God has set before us, and I was thinking all week about just how easy it is for our flesh or the enemy to knock us out of that race. To make us feel like we just can't run anymore. That we have to take this, this quit. We can't do it. Because we maybe made a sin decision. Or we allowed something into our lives to distract us. And all week, and, and really for a couple of weeks, I've been thinking about this idea of trying to encourage believers to not let those things that seem to want to pull at us, pull us out of the race. But to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. To keep our attention fixed on Christ. And so I want to spend some time this morning looking at a familiar passage that I truly pray will encourage us as the body of Christ to continually set our focus on Christ, not on a person, not on an individual, not on an emotion, not on an experience. Emotion is fine. Experiences in God's economy is, is good and fruitful and helpful. But we want to set our attention not on something that's momentary, but we want to set our attention on something that is constant. And the constant that is set before us that God has allowed us to be a part of is keeping our eyes fixed on Christ. To look to Christ. To set our gaze upon him and the finished work of the cross. As I said a few moments ago, there are many distractions in our world today that try and pull our attention to the left or to the right, away from Christ. And if you've been paying attention to what's going on in our world the last so many years, I feel as though, and it's probably just because we're in the moment of this season, but I feel as though those distractions have really amped up in our lives. That there are so many things that pull at our attention. They're not even necessarily bad things, but there's just things that pull at us. The availability of social media I mean, I've had people tell me that they literally will get on social media just to check one or two things. 45 minutes will go by. And, oh, what? how did that even happen? I didn't even realize I was watching this or checking that for that long. There's just so many distractions. And if you're not careful, sometimes those things, those influences that we allow into our lives, not only is it time-consuming, it begins to affect how we think. It begins to affect how we feel. It begins to affect what we really believe God can do. And we start looking at all these things and we think, man, Lord, it's just all going to come crumbling down. There's just no hope. There's no chance you could do anything with this. But that's not where we set our attention. We don't set our attention on the things of this world. We set our attention on the things and the person of Christ. Hebrews chapter 4, or Hebrews chapter 12. I'm sorry. Let's look at 
Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. If you're using one of the Bibles provided in the seats, there are some Bibles. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can turn to page 849. So Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, page 849. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, I should warn you, uh, this morning I took a Benadryl. So this is either going to be really fun or I might just fall asleep at some point during the sermon. I don't know. You can't fall asleep, but I can. Um, Just kidding. Just kidding. Hebrews chapter 12. Let's look at verses 1 through 4. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners. Another we could say that is opposition from sinners. He was opposed by humanity. And before we get too far, let's not look at that word sinners and think, oh, that's, that's Pilate. He's talking about Pilate. He's talking about the religious leaders. No, no, no. He's, it's all-encompassing. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So he's saying there, he's saying Jesus suffered opposition at the hands of sinners. He goes on to say in verse 3, Lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. So how do we stay strong in our focus and in our minds as followers of Christ? How do we not faint? How do we not grow weary in well-doing? How do we stay the course? Well, we look to Jesus and we look to his example. It goes on to say in verse 4, Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Let's pray and ask God to affirm these things in our hearts and minds. Father, We thank you for this time that we could gather to worship you again, Lord. It's just such a great and valuable time in our lives. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this room right now or anyone watching online that is thinking to themselves, it's just another Sunday. It's just another sermon. It's just another time to worship. It's just another time to shake hands and smile and see how people are doing. Lord, I pray that we would run as far away from that mentality as possible that we would shed that type of an idea that we just it's just another this or a, another that, but that we would cry out to you and we would ask that you would open our hearts and minds by the working of your Holy Spirit, that we would grow closer to Christ this morning, closer to what you have for us, that we would cry out to you and as your mercies are new every morning, may we desire to be transformed and renewed in the faith that we have in Christ. I pray right now, Father, as well, for anyone in this room or anyone watching online that has a sin in their lives that they just seem as though they can't get away from it. It's just there. And Lord, it just pulls at them And maybe it used to be one thing and now it's something else. Maybe it used to be this issue and now it's this issue. And and, and they know they have victory in Christ. They know they have the ability given to them by the work of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God to overcome. Not in their own doing, but in what you can do through them. Strengthening them. 
and being with them. But Father, so many believers, and I believe, Lord, even many in our church, many watching online, because I know that it's just common for humanity to be tempted, humanity to be attacked by these sinful things, that the enemy in our flesh will desire to pull us into these things. And so I pray that as we know that that, that attack is coming, that we would know how to defend, how to resist, how to stand against these things, not so that we can in pride and arrogance declare what we have done, but we can humbly admit that we are weak, but you are strong. And that I need you every single moment of every single day that we might honor you with our lives, honor you with our words. And so, Father, again, I pray that this time this morning in your word would be a time of self-evaluation, self-examination for everyone here today, including myself. As, Lord, as I was preparing this sermon, you were doing a great work to try to remind me and show me what I need to do and how I need to be focused and where my attention needs to be, Lord. And I think this is something daily we as followers of Christ need to do in our lives. So, Father, again, work as only you can. Spirit, thank you for being here. We don't have to convince you or beg you to work in our lives because the word says that as followers of Christ, you will lead us unto all truth. You will convict us of sin and righteousness. You will guide us and you will open up our understanding and open up our minds to the word of God. So, Father, again, in all of this, we ask that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. In the New Testament, we see a few different analogies or even metaphors that try and give us a physical picture of our spiritual lives as Christians. The Bible tries to give us physical pictures or situations or metaphors, even analogies, things that will try to help us to understand what is this Christian life? Because the Christian life is at its core spiritual. I don't see Jesus Christ in the flesh walking with me. I can't literally have physical, audible conversations with Jesus Christ at every point of every day. I need to understand it's a spiritual life that we live. We walk by faith and not by sight. And because this is a spiritual realm that we're talking about in the area of Christianity and what it means to be a Christian, the Bible, under God's inspiration, gives us word pictures or different things in our physical life to help us understand what does it look like in the spiritual life. And so some examples of these would be, and when you think about, think about this idea, is how is the Christian life described? First, Paul talks about the Christian life as a form of slavery. And we are the bond slaves or bond servants of Jesus Christ. And we talked about this last Sunday night, that, that Jesus said in Matthew, you cannot serve two masters. You will love the one and hate the other. You will flee from one and cling to the other is a rough paraphrase of what he was saying. But we focused in on that idea of servant. You cannot serve two masters. Well, that word servant actually is the word slave. You cannot be a slave to two masters. And this is kind of where our minds need to go. We need to understand that we are the slaves, the servants of Jesus Christ, not in a casual sense, but in the sense that you belong to him. I referenced that last Sunday night that one author said it this way. You can serve anyone, really. You can be in service to many people, but you can only belong to one person. So we can serve each other, but we belong to Jesus Christ. What did Paul say? You are not your own. You have been 
bought with a price. What was that price? That was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When he shed his blood on the cross for the sins of the world, when you responded in faith as the Spirit began to bring that understanding to your mind and you repented of your sins and you trusted in Christ, you ceased being your own. I love our marketing culture we live in today. Everything in consumer market is about you. It's about what makes you happy, what's best for you. How can you make your neighbors really, really jealous of what's in your driveway? Because it's really what we want to do. Here, have more. You need more. You deserve it. I was just watching something. It was a few weeks ago. They were talking about when Burger King first introduced the idea of your way. And I, I never knew this, but I, was, I didn't even know what I was watching. But it was something that was talking about just kind of the fast food industry and just different things. And apparently... When you went to a fast food place, you got the sandwich the way it came. It kind of reminds me when I grew up with my mom. If I would say, well, I don't really want, she says, I'm not a short order cook. You're going to eat what I make. And I'm telling you, some of you grew up with parents like this, and you better praise God for them. Because nowadays, I meet a lot of people who weren't made to eat what was prepared for them, and they think it's all about them. I'm just saying. Just saying. That's a whole different sermon. We're not even going to go there. I'm not even going to go on that road. But... But I remember when they came out with that, this, this, this video that I was watching said it radically changed this idea of fast food. Now I don't have to go in and eat what you tell me I have to eat. Now I can go in and I can have it my way. Like I don't want tomatoes, which I don't know why you don't put tomatoes on a burger. It's, I mean, that's great. Why would you not put a tomato on a burger? It's like not putting bacon on a burger. It's not even a burger at that point, okay? It's just a waste of bread and meat, Okay. And barbecue sauce. You need barbecue sauce, some lettuce, some fried onions, maybe some mushrooms. Okay, it's, this, is, this is amazing. But I remember thinking about that. That's our culture today. I want it my way. And that's, that's kind of seeped into the church, has it not? Into our Christian lives? I mean, if we're being honest, it's not new either, is it? I mean, all through scripture we see, and go back to the garden. What was the ultimate temptation that Satan brought to Eve in the garden? If you eat of this fruit, you will be like God. It's going to be all about you. You can have it your way. But man, when we come to Christ and we receive Christ and we receive him as our Lord and Savior, we realize it's not about me. It's about him. And I live in submission to his will for my life because I am not my own. I am bought with a price. And Paul says that's a great way to understand the Christian life. That you are in, indebted to Christ. Now, we don't serve begrudgingly. We serve joyfully. Why? Because we understand what he did for us and we choose to be in service to him. Now, are there times that he may lead us that we don't like? Of course. Because we have this flesh stuff. And God will begin to lead and we're like, no, I don't really want to do that. But if we're being honest this morning, would we really honestly say that when you submitted, when you finally gave in, which by the way, one way or another you're giving in. You're, you're going to do what God wants you to do. Whether he brings it about in one way or another. But when you finally gave in, wasn't there joy and peace? And a sense of, why didn't I do this sooner? Why did I waste so much time doing it my way? So Paul says that's one way we understand the Christian life. Another way that the Christian life is described, we see in 2 Timothy, where the Christian life is described as a farming operation. Also in 2 Timothy 2, he talks about that as a soldier. 
We're in service in a, in a sense to our commander in chief, right? We're in service to him. This is a spiritual war field and we are in battle. And so we follow the orders laid before us. But in the sense of 2 Timothy as well, he talks about this farming operation. He says that a hardworking farmer is likened unto a faithful Christian who works diligently to plant his crop and then waits to see God give a harvest. Any of you that are gardeners or farmers, you understand that you put the seed in the ground, you work the ground, you do things with it, you try to nurture it, but you don't make the corn grow. Right? You don't make that tomato plant grow tomatoes. Now, some of you are like, I wish I could because I'm not very good at it. Some of you are like, I've got tomatoes coming out of my ears right now. It's one way or the other. But God gives the increase. And that's why Paul says this is what the Christian life is like. We work, we plant, we water, we nurture, we give the word of God, we disciple, we evangelize. But you don't save anyone. No one is converted because of your ability to speak well. Or to share the gospel well. No, no, no. They are followers of Christ. They are brought unto repentance by the sole work of Jesus Christ through the Spirit of God. It's the gospel that saves. We don't save anyone. But we are called to plant, to water, to nurture. So the Christian life is compared to that of a soldier, to a farmer. In Romans chapter 7, and we'll move quickly through here, but we could probably do a sermon on each one of these. Some of you are like, you already are doing a sermon. No, no, not really. In Romans chapter 7, God likens the Christian life to marriage. He says, your old marriage partner, the law, died, and you're married to a new partner, Jesus Christ. And in many, many texts in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit likens the Christian life to the relationship between a father and a son, to a father and a daughter, that we are often called the sons or the children of God, which brings us again to our example today. And that's the one that appears here in Hebrews chapter 12, is that the Holy Spirit is likened the Christian life to a race, to a race. Now, I don't enjoy running, never enjoyed running, but I love this word picture. I love this, this idea of running a race. So what is my desire this morning? What do I, I pray that God will do in my life and in our lives as a church? My prayer is that this morning we are actually going to ask the question, am I in the race? Am I in the race? And then if we determine that we are in the race, that as followers of Christ, we would ask the question, am I running in the race? Am I running well? Am I running free? Am I running, keeping my attention and my focus on the finisher and origin of our faith? In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, where it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher. That word author is also the word origin. He is the origin of our faith. It comes from him and he finishes our faith. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 talks about the idea that I'm confident. I, I know that I know that what Jesus started in me in the gospel, he will finish. Amen? That I don't have to fear he's going to let me go or that I might stumble and fall away. No, no, no. He will keep us unto the day of redemption. And he gives us the guarantee, the seal of that guarantee in the spirit of God. Ephesians chapter 1. So here we understand that there's these questions with us. Am I running in the race? Am I even in the race? How am I doing in the race? Am I running well? Am I running free? 
And we have to evaluate these things not based on how others are running. Let me say that again. We're evaluating these things not based on how I do compared to other runners, which is usually where we go, is it not? Well, I'm a pretty good Christian. I go to church more than this guy or this person. I'm much nicer than this person. I give way more offering than this person. So I'm running really, really well. We've got to be so careful here. We don't look to the left and to the right to figure out how are we doing. We set our attention on Christ. And we, by grace, we pray and say, God, how am I doing? Am I running free? Am I running well? The course that you've laid before me. So the first question we have to ask is, are you in the race? Are you in the race? There's two groups being written to in the book of Hebrews. Now, this is not going to be a study on the book of Hebrews, but just so you have an idea of where this passage is applying to the original audience. In the, this book of Hebrews, or to the Hebrews, there's two basic groups that you find being written to. The first would be believers. Believers. This is those that have given their lives to Christ. They're fully saved Christians, followers of Christ. In this group, in the book of Hebrews, these are saved Jews that know Christ, but are being pressured or influenced by others in this movement, this group, that are Jewish as well. And they're being pressured to go back to the old ways, to do the feasts and to do the Jewish law and these kind of things. And they're being basically pressured that if you really want to be a Christian, you got to add all this stuff in. So that's one group. And that should ring true with us because we see that in churches today. Well, if you're a really good Christian, you won't do these things and you will do these things. And if you do any of these things, then are you really saved? And it becomes this very external, very, very man-pleasing, fearing of man type religion or relationship. So that's one group. They're believers, but they're being pressured to maybe conform to some of the old ways. Not that there's anything wrong with a Christian practicing a Jewish feast like Passover. Nothing wrong with that. But we don't do that to gain favor with God. We do that because we want to remember, in a sense, what God's faithfulness looks like and how it continues in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So everything is a foreshadowing of Christ. And so if we celebrate a religious feast like Passover or some type of a form of worship like that, we don't think this is getting me closer to God in the sense of more favor and merit. Now God's really going to love me because I did Passover. It's purely to say, no, no, no. I want to see how Christ was present even in the Exodus and how good God was to deliver his people from bondage as we've been studying on Wednesday nights and how good God is to deliver me from the enemy and bondage of sin through Christ. And so it all looks and points to Christ. So again, one group are believers. The other group are non-believers who look like believers. Non-believers in Hebrews who look like or sound like believers. Again, this is true in the church today. There are those that sat in the services. We would say they sat in church today. They knew all the songs. They, could, they had them memorized. They nodded at the right times. They smiled at the right times. They prayed when everyone else was praying. They shook hands when they shook hands. They looked like a Christian in every external sense. But they did not personally taste of the gospel for themselves. They sat in church. They nodded their heads. That's good. Oh, amen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
no relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's who the author of Hebrews is writing to, these two groups. Those that are in Christ, you don't need that stuff. Focus on Jesus. Those that don't know Christ and you're acting like you do, you need Jesus. You need the gospel. Now some, I should say, some have tried to use verses in Hebrews to promote the doctrine of loss of salvation. That you can lose your salvation. And they'll go to a verse in Hebrews. But again, I would suggest that if we understand the book in the proper context, then we would be able to understand those passages are not speaking to believers. They're speaking to those who seem like believers, but have no relationship. So those verses, in my opinion, and I believe in the opinion of many others, are not saying you can lose your salvation. It's saying you most likely never had a salvation with Christ. And so again, there's two groups here. We need to understand that because in chapter 12, he talks about a certain group. Let us, he says. So, moving into chapter 1, or chapter 12, verse 1. He says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, stop there for a second. I believe when that says that cloud of witnesses, I believe that's everything he just told us in chapter 11. I don't think that the saints of old are looking down on us right now in a sense. And I've heard this described as like a big arena. And all the stands are filled with all the saints before. And they're all watching this unfold before them. I, I don't think that fits in the context as well as the simpler to me, the more clear understanding that the cloud of witnesses he's referring to is the faithful example of all those that have gone on before that we can now have knowledge of by the word of God. That I can read about the faith of Noah, the faith of Rahab, the faith of Abraham, and their example through Christ becomes a cloud of witnesses. That I look to them to see how would I live this life as a follower of Christ. And so again, some have different opinion on that. I, I just tend to believe the text seems to imply it's what he just talked about in chapter 11. It goes on. Let us lay aside every weight. So stop there. Let us. So who is the us that he's referring to? I would suggest that only believers are running the race. Only those in Christ are running the race. I believe this is, again, as we see in Scripture, a general call to any that would receive Christ, that any that would receive the gospel can run. But specifically, I believe he's speaking to those now in Christ, those who actually have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's saying, let us, the body of Christ, let us run in this way. So again, this race is not a sprint. As many of you that have been saved for many years, you know this. This is not a sprint. This is a marathon. And it's important we note that. This race that's being referred to is not a sprint. It's not a simple 100-yard dash. It's a marathon. It's a long race. We are also told in Scripture that this race will not be an easy, casual jog, but something that will take effort and work and diligence. And I know right there, people are like, well, brother, but it's all by grace. Yes, but by grace, we are now allowed to work for his kingdom, to do things that affect change in this world because of what he's doing through us by the Holy Spirit. So again, this is not a casual jog. This is a, a work. This is an effort-driven run. This is something that takes effort and training and diligence the word for race here in the original Greek is the word agon. And it actually gives us our English word agony. 
Amen. Because running is agony, okay? And so I have a biblical grounds for my view that I hate running, okay? And I, I don't know, I mean, some of you are like, oh, no, I run because I just love it, okay? When I try running, after I'm done, it's just, I mean, I'm, it's good for you and I feel better in some ways. But while I'm running, that's not, it's, it's agony, right? It's work, it's diligence, and it's okay to acknowledge it's not, this Christian life is not meant to be this casual little lightly, oh, yeah, this is great, I'm just jogging away. There's an effort here that's required, and that's why the author uses this word. The idea of the original word carries that of a contest, a struggle, a contest for a prize. There's something I'm running for. There's a goal. And praise God, the goal is not the simple earthly treasures that we think those things are. It's so much more, and it's so much more valuable than anything we've ever experienced. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, I run that I may obtain. He goes on to say, the worldly runners run to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. And so we are striving to be temperate, to control our bodies. Again, training our bodies for the race ahead. To strive for the mastery, he says, that we might run to win. We don't win our salvation. That's sealed in Christ. We, we run to win in the sense of the crowns that many believe those in Christ will receive that we will cast back at his feet for the things we do for Christ. That we are running to please our Father. We are running that others may see the glory of God in our lives and the work of God in our lives, and they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. It's ultimately about him. And so as we're running this race, if somebody says, man, you're, you're doing really good, thank you, but it's all Jesus. It's not me. I would have quit a long time ago. But we don't run in our strength. We run in the strength that he gives us. Paul used this idea of running as well. This idea of running a race in Galatians. When he questioned what hindered the church from running well as they had did in the beginning of their faith. He says, you started running well, but something's, something's hindered you. What's slowed you down? What's, what's made you get distracted? He talks about it again in Philippians chapter 2. When he said he hoped he hadn't run in vain. That there was effort involved in them coming to Christ. And he's saying, I really hope that I didn't do this in vain. That it wasn't empty, but there's real fruit here. And this is how he also views the end of his life. When writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, saying, I have fought the good fight. He goes on to say, I have ran my course. You see, the Apostle Paul constantly refers to a race and running and effort and diligence and endurance. And he gets to the end of his life and he says, I can now say, I have fought the good fight and I have ran my course. I have finished what God has laid before me to do. Many of you know that he ended up being martyred for his faith shortly after he wrote that. So again, while this race will require work and effort, it is also a great joy given to us to run well for Christ. That when we run well, I didn't say perfect. I didn't say without any stumbling, without any faults, without any failures. But I said we run well. That means we're running and when we stumble or we fall or we get distracted, we stop and we re 
adjust our focus. We put it back on the personal work of Jesus Christ and we keep running. I've met so many Christians that something happened in their life and they just go, I'm done. Maybe it was a sin decision. Maybe it was something that happened to them. Somebody else sinned against them. Whatever it is. And they just think, I'm done. No, we need to keep running. Why? Because it's for his glory. It's that he would be honored. It's that the gospel would go forth. And so I get it. It's difficult. But nowhere in scripture does it say it's going to be an easy jog. I think that's where we get a little confused in what the race really looks like. So how do we run well? Well, I believe we run well when we run free. We run, run well when we run free. So how do we run free? Let's look back at the text. So verse 1. Let us, about halfway through the verse, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience. That word patience can also be endurance, the race that is set before us. Now, we'll come back to chapter 12, verse 2 in a moment, but I want to focus on verse 1. And maybe you've heard this before, and I'm sure you probably have, that we need to shed all undue weights. We need to shed all undue weights. A few years ago, quite a few years ago, I think it was about 2012 or 2013, um, I was teaching through this passage, and we did an illustration. And so I've got a picture of that illustration, if we can put that up on the screen. Yeah, so that would be uh, Pastor Keith Corbett on the treadmill, and that would be me pushing the speed of the treadmill higher, okay? And that's why he's nervously smiling. If you can kind of tell, he's just kind of getting a little nervous. So this illustration, you can leave it up there for a few minutes. This illustration, um, which actually... It was so much fun to do. I, I really enjoyed this um, because I wasn't on the treadmill. Um, but the idea here is we're talking about running free, right? Running without these undue weights. And so what do we do? So if you can't tell there, we actually had him running uh, with, a, with a car seat. Um, and so we also have a, like a briefcase. Um, he's got something on his back. I forget, maybe weights, like actual weights I put in a backpack on his back. Um, he's also got a bunch of books, like Bible study books, because the point of this illustration is just this. We think running this race with Christ and all the busyness of our lives, I'll be fine if I just keep studying more books and doing more things, and it becomes a religious legalism. I just got to do all this religious stuff instead of shedding all of these weights and going, no, I just need to focus on, on Christ. I do have to ask, though, we look a lot younger in those pictures. You don't have nearly the gray hair you have now. It's crazy. Wow, that's amazing. So um, you can take that down now. That's fine. I appreciate that. But I wanted to kind of show that because to me, that's the picture of the Christian life. Many of us, if you're being honest, many of you have tried juggling all of that and running full speed. And you find it doesn't work very well. Because after that moment, that picture was taken... Increasing the speed. I don't know what went first. I don't remember if books fell or if he just said, yeah, you can stop now because I'm going to die. Like, you need to stop. But I remember thinking, man, that image right there has always stuck with me that so many of us run that way. And we're doing so much more work than we need to do because we're carrying weights we weren't supposed to carry. And we're trying to balance all this out. I mean, most people, when they go for a marathon run, they're not putting... 80, 100-pound weights in a backpack and strapping it to their back and just running 
Most people understand you have to shed all of that. You've got to get rid of all that weight because you can't carry that and run well. And so in this Christian life, there's going to be things that hinder us, that are weighing us down, and we have to shed those things. We have to get rid of those things, and it's not always going to be comfortable or easy, but we have to do it. What are the two things we see here that need to be set aside or laid aside? Well, the first is the word weight. This literally is a mass or something burdensome, something that's burdening us or weighing us down. We need to lay aside of our own choice anything that we place as prominent above Christ in this race that we are running. This is a prominent thing in our lives. It's not necessarily sinful. It's maybe not even bad. It's just something that we've given prominence to. And we elevate it to either equal with or higher than Christ. And we're carrying that around with us and it's burdening us. It's weighing us down. This could be a relationship. This could be a career. This could be a hobby. This could be your finances. This could be anything that's not intrinsically sinful, but it's burdening you because you've put it on equal footing with God. And you've said, no, this is important to me. of such prominence, it's going to be equal with Christ. Now, many Christians won't admit that. Not many Christians will say, yeah, I put my career on the same level of importance as I do with my relationship with Christ. Because we don't say that out loud because it's not very spiritual. It doesn't sound very Christian. But the truth is, that's exactly what we're doing. Some of you are putting acceptance of others on the same plane. Some of you are putting on there trying to get ahead of your career field, and you will do anything for that to happen. So you're compromising time with God so you can get ahead at work. Some of you are just carrying this undue weight of expectations of others on you, and you think, if I could just make everyone happy, then everything will be fine. And you've realized, and you're learning, you can't do that. It's very difficult to make one person happy all the time, let alone everyone in your life, so don't try. Just stop trying to please everyone and focus your attention on pleasing him, the Savior. Then we see the word sin. So weight, that's a little more gray for us. What could that weight be for me? And I'm not going to tell you what it is for you. The Spirit is already telling you that. And this is why I love that the Spirit of God works through the Word of God because I don't have to name your weight. I don't have to name your thing. I don't have to name whatever's burdening you down. As I've been saying this, the Spirit of God has been convicting your heart saying that's what it is for you and it needs to go. And so now, what do you do about that? You now have a responsibility to say I'm going to submit as a bond servant of Jesus Christ, as my Lord and master, I'm going to submit and get rid of this thing, no matter what it costs, because Jesus is worth so much more than anything else in my life. Or I'll say, man, that was a good message. I'm going to pray on that. We ignore the voice of the Spirit. We ignore conviction. And we try to bury it down and push it down. And it's not that big a deal. It's not really an issue. I'm fine. And we miss out on experiencing those blessings that God would give us if we would just run free. The next word is sin. This is a pretty easy one. The word here for sin in the original language is hamartia. Hamartia. This is an all-encompassing word for sin. It's not sin as one type of sin. Like certain sins have certain words that attach to them, depending on the type of sin that it is. Here, in the original language, it's the word for all-encompassing sin. Another example of this would be when Paul writes in Romans, for all have 
sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That word for sin is not a sin or this sin or that sin. It's sin, all sin, all encompassing. So the writer of Hebrews says, no matter what your sin is, your specific sin, it needs to go. Best translates to, to miss the mark, to miss the mark of perfection. Again, this is not saying this sin or that sin, but any sin. You can fill in the blank as, again, the Spirit of God is leading you to do. I want to ask you a question. Don't answer out loud. What sin are you continuing to carry? What sin are you giving yourself to? What is the sin that seems to constantly beset you? Now, in the King James, the word beset there is what is used. That really just means to skillfully surround Think about that for a second. The author of Hebrews says, let us weigh aside the weight and the sin which so easily besets us. That word beset means skillfully surround. I don't know if there's a better description of how sin tries to attack us because it just surrounds us and it's strategic because we don't even see it happening in the moment. And it's as though everywhere you look, you just see this sin. And it's just there and it's weighing and it's pushing and it's pulling and it's tempting and it's just there and it's surrounded you and you feel like you're just being overwhelmed by it. You can't get out from underneath it. It's just everywhere. And if we listen to our flesh and to our understanding, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're just going to give in. But when we listen to the word of God, no matter how closely it surrounds you, you can lay it aside. You can push it aside. Not in your strength, not in your willpower, not in your positive thinking, but in the power of Jesus Christ through the word of God. You can say, no, I choose to reject this by God's grace. I'm going to feed the spirit. I'm not going to feed the flesh. And again, it's not about us doing this. It's God working in us. So let me ask you, how have you handled when sin has skillfully surrounded you in the last week, in the last days? How have you handled that? Have you felt that pressure and just gave in or did you fix your eyes on Christ? Many of us, all of us have experienced the sin surrounding us and convincing us to run our own direction it seems so powerful, so overwhelming. There's nothing we can get away from it. And that's a lie. It's a lie. Christ is stronger. His grace is greater. And you can overcome through Christ any sin that pulls at you, that tempts you, and desires to pull you away. That sin is not more powerful than God's grace, mercy, redemption, and restoring work through the Spirit. When we are feeling surrounded by sin, we don't focus on the sin, but we focus on the Savior. One of the greatest mistakes we make is when sin is surrounding us, we focus on the sin around us. And we think, oh, I could never overcome this. No, your focus is already in the wrong place. We focus on the Savior who's already overcome sin and death and hell. He's given us this victory. We don't have to fight for a victory we already have received in Christ. We set our eyes on him. And I know I've said that multiple times on purpose because it's what we need to do. Chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. Looking unto Jesus, the author, the origin and finisher of our faith, 
For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. By the way, he's praying for you. He's praying for you. For consider him that endured such contradictions or opposition to sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Why set our attention on Christ? Because he is the author and finisher of our faith. He will complete it. Notice that we do not run so that our faith will be kept. We run for Christ because he guarantees our faith is secure in him. Because Christ endured great persecution and temptations and yet was without sin. Because Christ is praying for us, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We can set our eyes on him because he is the example, the savior, the one who's overcome and the one who's praying for us. And it comes down to, again, a matter of our minds. Not to set them to, again, positive thinking or what I can do, but to set our minds on the renewed power of God in our minds. Romans chapter 12. Where will a renewed mind in the spirit be directed? If my mind is renewed in the spirit, where's my mind going to be focused? Not on politics. Not on who's in the White House. Not on who's doing this or that in our culture, but it's set on the person of Christ. That's where the Spirit will drive my mind. So verse 4, in conclusion, the author says a powerful and yet kind of a shocking statement in verse 4. It says, you have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. So what does he mean by this? The readers of Hebrews suffered great persecution. This group that's being written to suffered great persecution for their commitment to Christ, to their commitment to the things of Christ. The author of Hebrews is saying, they have not yet died a martyr's death. Yet the example we look to in Christ and of Christ, who did shed his blood on the hand at the hand of sinners and yet finished the mission he came to accomplish. So why end this way? Why give us this word of encouragement and also a little bit of a challenging, shocking word? Because we are to run with patience and endurance. Just as Christ endured these things, we too, under his strength, can endure these things. And we can go through difficult times. Because if God grants us life, it is for his glory. And our stand for and with Christ will cost us many things. And if it costs us our life, As Stephen experienced in Acts chapter 7, we will set our gaze upon Christ in this life and even the moment of giving up our life for Christ. And so I want to encourage you with this this morning. We're going to close. I appreciate your patience as we've gone a little bit longer. I want to encourage you with something this morning. I, I truly believe that Christianity in our country today needs to be reminded that it is not about what I can do, but it's about overcoming sin through Christ. And I believe there's so many believers that are living as though they are defeated because they are not fixing their eyes on Christ, but they've been surrounded by sin and they give in to sin and then they have to deal with the consequences of that. And it just destroys and it's destructive and it does harm. But let me end with this. If you've been surrounded by sin, you gave in, you made a decision, you've, you've gone into sin, you've done something, and God is convicting you of that, there is grace to forgive, there is grace to restore, and you are not out of the race. 
No, you say, Lord, I confess and repent of this, and I ask that you would strengthen me as I fix my eyes anew on you. My gaze is fixed, locked in on Christ. Help me to run well. Help me to run free. And I believe that testimony of seeing Christ give you the strength to overcome a sin, you will run faster and stronger and with more endurance because you've learned by practical experience his grace is sufficient because that's what you depend on. It's what I depend on to run well and to run free. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads right there where you are. As we go to a time of invitation, I want to ask you right there where you are as you begin to pray to just ask God to give you wisdom in this area. I know that it can be a little difficult in our lives to honestly evaluate where we are before the Lord to ask ourselves the tough questions. But I pray that if you feel in any sense or direction that the Spirit is convicting you, and I shouldn't even say if you feel that, if you, if you know that the Spirit is convicting you in an area that you need to lay something aside, whether it be a weight, something that just get, you've given prominence to that really shouldn't be where it is, if there's anything greater than Christ in your life, it needs to be demoted. But if maybe there's a, a weight or a sin that you seem to be constantly surrounded by, and it does it so easily because we're all human, then I pray that you would look to him, speak the word of God in that situation, to know who you are, who he is, and what you already have in Christ. Because when we fix our minds there, that sin will lose all, lose all temptation, lose all appeal. So maybe you would come and pray this morning and say, Lord, give me strength to run well, to run with endurance, to fix my eyes on you. Maybe you're here this morning and you would say between you and the Lord, honestly, that you've given in to a sin. You, you've made a decision that you know was wrong. You've yet to repent of it. Then maybe you would come and repent between you and the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry for this. Would you forgive me for that? And give me the strength to fix my eyes on you that I would not commit that act again. Maybe you've repented of a sin years ago and it's still weighing on you. You need to lay that aside. That's not the Spirit of God that's reminding you of that sin, that it would weigh you down and distract you. It's the enemy. It's your flesh trying to keep you ineffective. No, we shed that undue weight. We fix our eyes and we run free because it's for his glory, for his namesake. Father, I pray that you would give great wisdom in all that has been said and done. Thank you for your word. I thank you for the attention of this great church. I pray that you and you alone would be glorified. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we are led in a song of invitation? Would you come? Would you come and pray? Is there a weight you need to lay aside? Is there a sin in your life? Is there something that God is convicting you of? Don't worry about anyone else. We don't look to the left or the right. We look to Christ. Maybe you'd come and bend a knee and say, Lord, forgive me, strengthen me, help me to run well. Whatever God is doing, would you respond as we say?